Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Phil Tiger. Slacker Hello Slackers, I hope you're all good, hope you're all well, hope you're enjoying the summer and that you are leaving the house and getting out there and doing some stuff and breathing some fresh air. I know I have, <laughs> my missus like forced me to like leave the house after like four months so I might actually have some vitamin D in me now. Um, I hope you've been enjoying Slacker Season 4 so far. I genuinely think that this is like the strongest season of Slacker that, that I've done. I mean, nobody wants to be working backwards or, or anything, but like I've had a lot more time to prepare this than others. And we still have podcasts to come up from KSI, Phineas, Sleaford Mods, Bob Geldof, Haim, Leanne Lahavas, Alan McGee, MJ Cole, Andrew Shikari, Idol, Sean Paul, Jarvis Cocker. Yeah, they're all still to come. So if you have just joined us um, for this Johnny Burrell podcast and you've never listened to any of them before, then subscribe. So when they say the Jarvis Cocker one drops, you'll have it in your inbox immediately. Um, also, if you've just sort of jumped on this podcast and go back and listen to um, some of the episodes that we've done before, uh, the, you would probably like the Pete Doherty episode. He talks about Johnny Burrell in it. Um, the Pete Doherty episode is probably one of the most listened to on the on all seasons of um, the Slacker podcast as well. So there is tons, like 40 or whatever, for you to go back and um, flick through at your own desire. Uh, big up mad love to everybody who is supporting the Slacker podcast on Patreon. They went to patreon.com forward slash Slacker podcast and they are contributing to the making of the podcast. You know, it's, it's the same sort of vibe as pretty much everybody else. With the way things are, I've had pretty much most of my work bar one like cancelled so it's given me this opportunity to make loads of content like make lots of slacker podcasts um the new slacker uh, podcast as well the slacker friends podcast which just comes out on a friday every week so that's two podcasts a week 
um as well as some slacker videos on youtube and stuff like that but i mean i am making this all for free at the minute um so if you do enjoy the content and you want to be an absolutely sound fucker then um, <laughs> go, go over to the Patreon. Uh, there's loads of exclusives we put up there. Put up an exclusive um, podcast uh, for Patreon listeners only. Um, there's like playlists. There's there's tons of stuff up there. So um, yeah, patreon.com forward slash slack a podcast. Um, what else is there? What else is there to tell you about? Are you enjoying the Slacker Friends um, format that we're doing? Basically, the other podcast that you'll see on the RSS feed Um if you're not aware already, it's basically like a music panel show, and there is no music panel shows that I can think of. Maybe the Steve Lamax Roundtable on Six Music, but even that's like more of a review show. Um, this is kind of like a panel show of like what's happened in the week of music, um, some stupid questions, some serious questions, and yeah, it's all based around what what's happening in music. I I think it like in terms of like entertainment, music is definitely less catered for especially in panel shows anyway but yeah check out slack of friends as well um this podcast that we have today with um johnny burrell is is pretty explosive like i've never met the man before but obviously grew up listening to his records um owning his records and yeah he's like he's like on no other that i've met before I, I very much enjoyed my my time and company with him, and it, it took a little while for him to to warm up to me. I think, but um, he definitely did. <laughs> he definitely did. I think um, his uh, problems with smartphones was 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 part of that, as you will hear in in the podcast. But he was a, a total diamond geezer, and he was very uh, forthcoming with lots of stories, and he had lots of interesting anecdotes from back in the day, and also what's coming up with Razorlight as well. So. Pick up Johnny Burrell. Here he is on the Slacker Podcast in three, two, one. It's been quite a cute, confusing experience for me trying to <laughs> trying to talk to you. Yeah, that's been, that's a little bit, but fuck it, man. It's I, I, I don't have an iPhone. I never use them, so it actually feels like quite a strange thing in my hand right now. I feel like I'm getting the Apple waves that I don't want. Well, it'll, it'll only be an hour. You'll have to flush it out after. Yeah, yeah. It's really weird where it comes up with the video. Yeah, like yeah. you're suddenly on the screen. That's terrifying. <laughs> is this the first time that you've like? Have you not had a, had a smartphone before? Or have you been always off? This is not my phone. I don't have a smartphone. I wouldn't have one. Why not? You just like not 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 a not a fan. I, I think I think tech companies are pretty evil. You know. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think um, yeah. I mean, well, yeah. I mean, it's all about it's about advertising revenue, isn't it? I've never had a Facebook, I've never had an Instagram, and I've never had a smartphone, and I, I just can't see the appeal. I mean, like that. That sounds like I don't know. That sounds like something that like if I did that, it would take me about a week or two weeks or three weeks to get used to it, and then after a while, I would just automatically be pulled back into it like I, I don't think there's ever been a moment since I was probably about 13 that I haven't mm. been online or looking into some sort of screen of some description yeah it's very dangerous you know I think pretty much every you know uh, awareness is is the key thing you know for humans mm. and uh, all these things are pretty much designed to 
diminish your awareness of, of, of the you, outside world and, and get you know get you hooked on the device or the medium itself. Do you ever feel and, like uh, you're missing you're missing out on like Instagram or something that somebody's talked about on Twitter? Do you do you, do you get that or are you just do like, I feel no. like I'm missing out on Instagram? <laughs> <laughs> Is that a serious question? It's not really, but like, I mean, when when you've got like loads of people talking about like various different things, do you do you feel like going? Oh, like you haven't even toyed with the idea, have you? I, it just it just seems like so unappealing to me. Mm. It's not like I, I, there's part of me that would like to, but I'm like holding back for some kind of moralistic reason. I just I don't get the appeal. Yeah, what a, and I mean, like, I, and I don't think, and it's hard to express, like, because you know, smartphones have been around for what 15, 16 years now. Mm-hmm. It's hard to express actually the perspective of somebody that's never had one. Yeah, yeah, because they've really changed everybody's brains and how people operate, and and um, you know, and you actually see that if you haven't been part of it. What? And uh, it's really, it's really terrifying, and I don't think it's good. I think there's going to be lots of, you know, there's going to be lots of people in twenty years writing op-eds in the, in things going, what, you know, shit, what happened to my life? Why was I addicted <laughs> to this little machine? Um, like, do do you miss out in, in terms of like just like promotion for for music? Because I mean, like that's where it's kind of all gone with like things like God, like all the magazines dying away. Yeah. Like, less. I mean, probably. You know, I mean, look, when Facebook came out, we were sort of one of the biggest bands in the country. So, you know, I was very well placed to build a social media empire yeah. or whatever it was, you know, and someone, they came to me and they said, this is what this is. This is Facebook and MySpace or whatever. Do you want to do this? And I, I thought that's absolute, total anathema to what music should be about. Uh-huh. And uh, I'd write, no, absolutely no way. <laughs> so we just always refused to do it, you know. Well, thank you for for coming on the podcast. Um yeah, it's a pleasure. Yeah, <laughs> it's a pleasure. I'm still feeling a little bit freaked out by my my um because the other thing was Zoom yesterday, so I'm still feeling a bit freaked out by the medium. <laughs> I like it. I'm you know I like a phone call. Yeah, like I, I but at the at the same time, I, I I'm I'm taking a sick pleasure in, in in knowing that you're you you're using an iPhone now for the first time in a long time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, thank thanks for coming on, and thanks um for for uh, sending sending me a demo. Um, so like all of the podcasts we've ever done, um, we've had some incredible artists come on and play like really early demos of um, of their music, and we, we we start them all the same way. Um, and here is yours. <laughs> the wind it shapes away our sins yours is the night just fill it with light you say you say I got a feeling it's just around the bend well I got a feeling that I will fall into the path of love see you later One is the light Don't it get you tight Mine is the night 
She's through your bed You say, you say I got a feeling that it's just around the bend It's coming Well, I got a feeling that I will fall into the path L-O-V, see you later our heads you say you say I got a feeling that it's just around the bend well I I got a feeling that I will fall into the path of L-O-V see you later L-O-V my manager had lent me his apartment and it was over Christmas and I was there and I was just writing and I really enjoyed that particular demo I think because it was like I just don't you know how hard it is to make something sound good on a cassette four track you know and there it was and it was coming back at me and I was like yeah it just sounds like a song and I knew that I'd had the, that the band was up and running because we'd already written about half of the first album so I knew I had this great band that could do justice to it and um and it was a funny time and I've, and that whole little period that one there's one cassette I have from the four track there where I just I wrote about three or four songs that all ended up on on the Ray's Light album and you can just hear them you know and and, you, and it's just like I must have I must have been on on a real roll at that point in time you know and um so yeah I was just very grateful to the songwriting force coming through me at that point you know because I never feel like it's me that's done it it's just it just happens. You know? <laughs> I hear that from people. Um, creativity like sort of just beams itself into you. Like it's not like you you force it; it just happens through you. Yeah, totally. How long before Razorlight started did you write that, or was that song written like you know when you were sort of in the thick of it? Um, I think that was. Like, I think we, I formed the band. Yeah, I think that was the second wave of um, of material. Yeah. So I think we'd, um, I think we'd, uh, I think we'd started playing and, and yeah, I was just, I was writing, yeah, so. What, how come like a, that was like the one that you wanted to, to go for? Like when there was, there's, there's so many other tracks, like was, was that like a, a demo that was quite special to you? Yeah, I don't know. I, I thought maybe you'd like to hear something like from you know from the writing process mm -hmm. you know because it, it, it's always interesting particularly that song like you know we brought it in like 
um, uh, you know, it changed quite a bit as we as we played it, as we found the the arrangement for it musically. You know, with the band. I mean, do you know the do you know the song, the actual song? Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, like I've got. I mean, like you were pretty much. I was pretty much perfect age for for Israelite and the Libertines in that whole um, time because I think what was I like 14, 15 when you guys were like really um, when Up All Night came out I was about 14 um, and I mean that album was ubiquitous like uh, every single one of my mates had had that record and the next one it seemed to be like you you weren't uh, you weren't an indie fan unless you had the Razorlight album everybody seemed to have the Zootons album and good, yeah good band yeah man. very good band yeah, uh, and absolutely. Maybe because we're Northern Irish, everybody seemed to have a copy of 1977 by Ash as well. Yeah, and that's also really, really got some bangers on it. Yeah, I only realised that Ash. That was something I only realised like a little bit later on, because I, I, I can't. Yeah, I don't know. I wasn't sure. I was never sure about Ash. And then we were, we were just setting up the, we were setting up the mixing desk at the uh, Ali Pali the first time we played it, and. Um, uh, I remember our sound man, Lloyd, he used to tour with Ash and he, he just, he put on one of the tracks, you know, to get the levels on the, on the desk. And it just sounded so good. I was like, fuck yeah. So I had a moment of, I had a moment of conversion in an empty venue. <laughs> that's, that's what takes it. I mean, like when it comes to like two minute, two and a half minute bangers, Northern Ireland yeah. generally are quite good at it. Under yeah, times, yeah, there's, there's definitely heritage. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Big time. Um, but like, even like up until today, I was coming back from getting my, my little pup vaccinated at the vets and they had golden touch on the radio and i was thinking and i was thinking to myself when i was driving back i was like i was going back through the bands that like were really formative for me at that age and and really sort of deep into that sort of um uk um indie guitar scene around that time and i was like you probably had the most hits out of everybody because a lot of them have had a lot of like kudos and maybe a lot of um sort of column inches in NME and and plays by Zane Lowe and and the like of it but you you guys were really the ones that actually had hit records like you know like high charting albums dangerous thing to do yeah yeah you like did you do you did you find that like uh you got the respect for that or did you like fly too close to the sun a bit of both yeah probably a bit of both you know I mean like yeah you know I I just really like singles, you know. I kind of always have, you know. And I, and I, I mean, I really like Up All Night. It was an imp- really, I really enjoyed making that record, and I think it sits together well as an album, you know. But um, what I mean by that is most of the songs segue into each other, so it gives the appearance of a cohesive album. And um, yeah, I don't know, man. You know, I just, I, I don't know. Just like, big, just big hit, big hit records. Like, uh, uh, and and the, the public really. Really, really, really like, went for I it. I thought something like Vice is interesting, right? Because, mm. you know, that was like, that was, I don't know where it charted. It was in the top 20 and it was played all over the radio and stuff. Yeah. But, you know, it's just a straight up rock and roll song. Uh-huh. Do you know what I mean? There's no, you know, it's not particularly, it's not particularly pop, you know, in any way. You know, it's kind of, you know, it, it probably is in a kind of Ramonesy kind of way you know mm-hmm. but it's like oh Springsteen-y I guess but like I mean we were trying to I mean you can hear from the demos you can hear the song and then 
you know, once it came into the band, it was kind of like, it's sort of, you know, it's, everyone's different influences came in. So, you know, it kind of, it's got that kind of Pixies-ish kind of intro and, and which, well, we were probably trying to sound like the Pixies, but came out sounding more like Springsteen actually. Which was, <laughs> you know. um, and, um, you know, it was kind of like, it was, um, but, but, you know, I do think it, it, that's, you know, seeing as, seeing as we've, we've already started, it seems we're already talking about the past. It, it, it does feel like, you know that kind of thing. If you release that today, it would be considered far too left field for, um, you know, for commercial radio in this in this country, and, and even more so around the rest of the world. You know, it is it is a little bit heartbreaking that because um, there the thing is like I, you do see a lot of um, people coming out like your your Noel Gallagher or your Serge from Kasabians and saying there's no like good bands around. Actually, not Serge from Kasabian, sorry. Um, saying that there's not any good rock and roll bands around i i think that's tosh like i think there's absolutely loads of great rock and roll bands around right now but they, there's just not really the cultural appetite for, for it the same way as there has been in the past yeah i would i mean i'd half agree with you on that where i mean i i think that i, I think that yeah there's there's talent there and you know but i think that i, I would agree with you that the 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 talent in terms of rock and roll bands are not necessarily making it through to the mainstream in any way. Mm-hmm. But I don't I don't think that's because the cultural appetite isn't there. I think that's because you know the radio stations tend to program by focus groups and um, you know rather than DJs choosing what they want to play. And I'm talking in the mainstream. Yeah, yeah. You know? So you know, and I think that's disgusting. And I think that's that's something that's happened. You know, where British radio has become a lot more like American radio in that in that regard, you know, and it's and it's become more commercial and and, and more corporate. I think it's with like with normally you can judge it by by like what what kids are listening to, and I I think kids are there's a definite thing from record labels, from radio stations, and and various sort of conglomerates that they think that young people only want to listen to hip-hop or young people only want to listen to dance but like i you know i've been running a record label and working with teenagers for since i was one and the the appetite isn't tribal anymore it's not just we want to listen to hip-hop we want to listen to like kids now want to listen to indie hip-hop techno house they don't have to have the one haircut or the fred perry t-shirt they can have the wu-tang hoodie and they can have the dream pipe jeans you know which is a really interesting cultural development in itself actually (laughs) <laughs> yeah. you think, I mean, if you think before, you know, before the noughties, I mean, you know, going back when I, you know, I talked to people who were around in the eighties and stuff like that. Mm. And it's like, well, that was the most important part. Yeah. You know, if you tried to go into a club that was playing whatever it was, you know, uh, new romantic stuff and you weren't a new romantic, you, they just wouldn't let you in. <laughs> so, you know, or if you wanted to go to the goth club, they wouldn't let you in. Yeah. We still had that a bit in the noughties, a bit in the nineties, you know, but it was, and I think that was, um, I, 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 yeah, I mean, that, that, that's something that, that has definitely changed and I'm probably not qualified to comment on it. <laughs> you know, no, but that, that, it definitely has changed. Well, know, like the... I, I do see that, but, but I think picking up on your point, I think kids do have an appetite for, for, you know, guitar music and, and, and bands making real music, but you know, it's, um, 
I don't know. Well, you know, then why aren't why why doesn't it get played? Also, you've got to look at record companies. You know, it costs a lot more to make um, to make music that's played by humans rather than by you know programmed, and it costs a lot more to tour it. So I just don't think that that people are supporting young bands in the way they were, say, no. 15, 20 years ago. I mean, I, I, I 100% agree. I run a, a small DIY label, and it's well, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's very know, right? very yeah. hand to mouth. And I've like put out people like Ratboy, and I've got like a little punk band on there at the minute. And yeah, I, I know. Yeah, it's and I've, I've played in bands for ten years when I was a kid myself. Like so, <laughs> yeah. it always felt really horrible at the end of the night. The DJ that was playing after you was getting paid a hundred quid, and there was four of you yeah. bringing all of yeah. your gear down, and <laughs> you were getting paid thirty. And you're like, what the fuck? He's not even playing his own songs. Well, yeah, I know. Yeah, I mean that that doesn't go away yeah. because I mean that, even when you're even when you're you know playing near the top of the bill or top of the bill on festivals, you get the same thing. Do you know what I mean? The guy yeah. comes on DJing after you, and he's you know, and and you're, and you're thinking the same thing. Yeah. The thing that thing that's been ha- thing that's happened in recent times is that that used to be the case to an extent with music festivals and stuff like that. But now it's like um, you go and do festivals now, and it's not like one or two of the artists are like singing. You know, somebody up there who's just singing and dancing to a backing track. It's like nine out of ten of the artists are doing that. And that yeah. Ca- yeah, it kind of kills the organic sort of nature of of rock and roll. I think, like, <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I mean, I personally, I mean, look, to me, it's look, it's my life, so it's, it's yeah, something I care really strongly about. Of course, I don't, I don't watch, I don't watch bands that use backing tracks. I don't watch, I don't watch acts that use backing tracks. I just don't. I mean, certainly not. Like the worst one for me is if they're pretending to do rock and roll. You know what do you mean like, uh, like in terms of what well, like, like so many you know so many bands as they as they get bigger or whatever the drummer has got a click track in his ear uh, yeah. and he's playing along to the click track and suddenly when the two guys go to the microphone you hear four harmonies being sung and well because they're playing along to the backing track so each musician <laughs> is playing but there's a whole load of extra parts being played in the background now that used to just happen with coldplay u2 that kind of thing right uh-huh. with you know, really really big bands the stones no, you know the old school bands. No, but the, the 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 more new school bands, yes. But like that's one thing if you're playing an arena. What I noticed last like, last time I was in New York, young bands, you know, where they're just playing to like a small thing, you know, like um, a hundred people, fifty people. Uh-huh. I remember I was hanging out with this band and they were saying, oh, we've got the labels coming down tonight, so we've got to make it really good. So we're going to use the backing track, you know, so that way we've got our full, we've got our whole sound. So yes, everyone on stage is playing, but they're playing along to a backing track. Now, if that's what people are thinking they need to do, it's a little bit like the the relationship people have with their image now, where they think they need to look super cute all the time or whatever it is, and they're always taking photos themselves to check, right? It's it's hyper-managing to the point that what's good is no longer there you know but would you not like, would you not like um be, be completely on top of your image like you're always wearing nice clothes and and you know there's lots of there's an incredible amount of uh um great photos of you on various magazines like and there has oh, been yeah. throughout your career like oh yeah but I, I what i mean yeah well thanks for giving me the chance to <laughs> explain that one because what i mean is um you know I, i've i've seen i've seen people in bands in in, in younger bands get off stage, go straight to the dressing room, go straight to their phone, 
and look at pictures of the gig and work out which one they're going to post. <laughs> yeah. Now, that's what I mean by micromanaging. I mean looking back at it. Uh-huh. Now, yeah, maybe a lot of people have taken my photo. Some some photographers turn around and they say, do you want to have a look? And I go, no, thanks. <laughs> I fucking know, I know what I look like. I don't need to see that, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, and I go off and do my thing. Do you know what I mean? So what I'm talking about is that micro management of 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 image where you are the one that's taking the photo of yourself or if not you are the one that's editing it and choosing to present it you know it's complete stress like because i think like with an artist that's starting out now the idea is that you kind of have to be the musician the image the social media brand um you, you need to be the website designer. You, you know, like I think there's so much. Well, most pieces, most it's coming back to social media and smartphones. Most musicians I know spend more time, more hours per day on Instagram than they do playing their instrument. I mean, that's that's, that's probably and fact. That's of, that's of any age. Yeah, you know, that's musicians of my age as well who have Instagram. I mean, sorry, like, <laughs> what the fuck is that? It, it doesn't pay, impede with the craft, doesn't it? Like, I mean, if you want to continue getting better. <laughs> I mean, no, I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, if you're a painter and you spend three hours, four hours a day on Instagram, you know, and two hours a day with your brushes, you know, it's no good. Yeah. How how much did you, um, because like I I want to sort of get back to like when when you learned guitar for the the first time, and then you, like I've seen a bit where you... You wrote, you wrote your first... Oh, can, I, can I just finish that point about music? Of course I, I feel you can, like yeah. I left it dangling because we got into image. Absolutely. What I, what, what I was saying was that I don't go to shows or I won't stick around at shows where people are using backing track. I just walk out. Because to me, it's so disappointing. Because the point of live music for me, and this may be different for other people, is that the musicians are on stage. There's a, there's a silence between them that they create in. And what they create is going to be different every night. You know, we don't, we've never even used a click track on stage, you know, like a lot of bands do. I would never do that because every time you perform the song, you should be opening yourselves up to that song becoming whatever it's going to become that night. And every good band has, it should improvise and every band should be good enough to improvise. And, you know, it's, um, it's just like so disappointing. You know, to me, if I go and watch a band, that's what's going on. I mean, yeah, I might really like the singer or whatever, or you know, the guitar player. And I want to, I want to see them live, and I get that buzz. But on a musical level, I think that the way the technology's gone, I think is is just dumbing everything down unbelievably. And then as as for like, you know, as as for other styles of music, like you mentioned, hip hop and stuff like that, of course it's programmed. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, if the MC is really good then great <laughs> you know then it then it works but hip-hop was designed as that you know With... so you know so so for me i just think there's i don't know man you know i, I you know if the actual thing i don't know you know it's like you know uh 20 you know 20 years ago you can see the biggest the biggest sort of acts you know you can see a, a michael jackson or a prince or whatever and you you know, they'd have the best pop songs, they'd also have the best musicians, they'd also have the best dance moves, and that would be the whole package, you know? And now you go and see the biggest pop acts, and all right, they might have the biggest songs, and they might have some dance moves, usually danced by their dancers, and they're singing to a backing track. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a, but it's a joke. But it's, know, it, it goes but back it's to craft. Just, it, 
completely, yeah. And it's dumbed down so much, you know. And um, anyway, I, if you, if I remember you look seeing at... Elton John at the Q Awards mm. in 2000 and, hold on, 2004. We were there to win the best new act, Raise Light, mm. and uh, one of our very few awards. And um, and uh, Elton John got up and they'd given best live theme to Madonna or something like that. And he said exactly the same thing that I just said. There was a big panic <laughs> silence in the room. <laughs> I actually think I remember that. Yeah, that was that was that was an amazing moment. Um, and then I had this great idea that I thought because everything was clearly going so well for me in my life, I thought that I could in front of everybody, you know, Elton John, everybody, and Madonna, whoever, everyone in the whole fucking stratosphere of, of popular music. Yeah, I thought that I'd be able to do that trick where you pull the tablecloth but don't <laughs> disturb any of the things that are on top of it. You know, the glasses, yeah, yeah. plates and stuff, and just yank it off as I walked out. <laughs> Yeah. was that was that that was you your, can imagine how that you can imagine how that ended was that your like a sort of att- attempt at a mic drop really like a, you know it was just like this is my full stop evening over i just saw it and suddenly <laughs> you know like do, do you play football or anything i don't know yeah like, do, do you know like suddenly you can you you can just score that goal you know that you've uh-huh. got that split second to do it yeah and sometimes it from the moment it leaves your foot you know it's a goal and sometimes you know you've shanked it <laughs> sorely wide. Who did you spell well, it over? Like, who was at your table? Was it your other bandmates or was it, were you sharing t- table? Oh, no, it wasn't my table. We were on our way out. <laughs> oh, fuck, that's even worse. <laughs> it was somebody else's table. <laughs> um, like the, the... I don't think there was anyone sitting on it either. I think people were like, oh, I don't know, anyway. I don't were know. you at the at the NME Awards when the, the uh, was it Ryan Jarman uh, jumped over the, the, the table and managed to pierce himself on a bottle while he was doing it and almost died <laughs> no i wasn't if i was i was doing something else yeah. i don't think i was <laughs> yeah like that's like it's up there like that ryan jarman moment's up there with jarvis cocker mooning and michael jackson and that was quite amazing wasn't it <laughs> that was a cultural moment i think that was like the first the time i remember was, watching yeah. the brits yeah I, I mean yeah it made the brits almost it was like the only watchable bit in the history of the Brits. I do, I do miss, I do miss those moments. I do like, I only watch the Brits because I hope that something like absolutely insane happens. Like the last thing I remember is watching Arctic Monkeys go up and receive their awards, and um, Alex Turner looked very, um, how should we say, animated, and then <laughs> and then dropped the mic. Oh, I see. Yeah, I don't. I was at a Brit Awards once. They've kind of like this was how you know this is like the this is the annoying side of the, the music industry because they'd be like. Obviously, somehow they'd send an invite to the Brit Awards to 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 my label or whatever, and I'd be like, and and whatever, I wouldn't know anything about it. And then they'd say, oh, by the way, you, you've been invited to the Brit Awards, and I go, okay, great. Well, I, I've got no interest in going whatsoever because it's just not. I don't really like award ceremonies. I don't really think that music should go through that kind of, um, you know, uh, pageantry. Yeah, call it pant- pantomime. Uh-huh. You know. And um, I just think it's, I'm just opposed to it completely, you know? And then they turn, the label will turn around and say, oh, but we already accepted your invitation. <laughs> so, you know, if you don't go, it'll look really bad. And you're like, oh, right, okay, brilliant. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so you're there kind of thinking like, hmm, all right, well, shit, I guess, you know, if I don't go, it's going to be like, you know, 
it'll probably be in the newspapers, you know, that like I've thrown some tantrum to not attend the Brit Awards or something. <laughs> some... Thank you very much. And all, you know, and you're kind of like there just going, all I ever did from the start was just say to them, by the way, I don't want to go to any award ceremonies. You know, it, so. yeah, it's it's crazy how they can cut cut paste and twist. But like, I mean, when you're when you're in the public eye as much as kind of uh, you are, then it's an easy byline, isn't it? Yeah, I guess it is. Yeah, but it was yeah, it was that was challenging. I mean, I can be I'm philosophical about it now, but you know, when you're 24 years old and you find that someone's accepted an invitation on your behalf to something that you'd rather fucking poke your own eye out than go to, you know, and yeah. if you don't go, you're going to look like a cunt. It's kind of like it's a bit of a what's the phrase damned if you do damned if you don't um i wanted to i wanted to go back to the the, the first track that ever like in, inspired you to sort of go go down the the, the the musician path or not even the musician path but just the the first sort of real love of music like the first eureka moment where you heard a piece of music and you thought this is this is me well i don't know man because i just always i just always loved music and i love the fact that pe people were talking through their songs you know uh -huh. i couldn't i just that was magic to me you know it was just such unbelievable magic that, that yeah it was nice to listen to but somebody was actually saying words and talking to somebody somewhere you know this form of communication that was kind of more true than just talking you know <laughs> i don't know how it just kind of you know seemed to me instinctively more true than anything does that mean you connect better with the lyrics or or the melody? Because it's hard to like have a fifty fifty balance on on both. Like I'm a hundred percent. Like I'm a massive melody guy, and then lyrics are after fact. But like, because yeah. you you wrote poetry and stuff when you were younger before writing music as well. So, what where do you stand with that? No, I don't know because for me it's like I don't know, man. You know, like there's different kinds of songs. You know. There's always like, there's like, there's like the singer's nightmare, which is when like the guitarist has got a great riff and you know, it's a great riff and everyone's playing and it's like, fucking hell, this is brilliant. And then like, you're like, oh my God, no, I bet this is what Robert Plant was going through on Led Zeppelin 3. Like, oh, <laughs> fuck am I going to sing about? Yeah. Right, as long as I don't sing about Gollum, <laughs> right, this is going to be okay. Yeah, exactly. You Lord know? of the Rings. I mean, it, it works. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. I, was, I think he's a bit embarrassed about those ones. So, Ramble you know, off. and you're kind of like, well. All right, so as long as I don't go there, you know, as long as I don't think like, okay, so those, those so there's very those in ways like the one on two, but generally, generally, some I don't know, generally when I when I write ones, I write and write ones are kind of good, you know, but not, I don't know, they just don't feel like a complete song, you know, most 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 songs they come when. Uh, when I've been writing lots of other songs and then if I know what the first line is and I know who I'm talking to, then the song just writes itself, you know, because all I'm doing is I'm just talking into the ear of my friend. Do you, do you, uh, well, I, th I feel quite like that with, with when I, the way I approach radio, it's just a, it's a, it's a, it's a one-on-one -on -one. and with, with music, with the way you write music, obviously it gets heard by a lot of people and, and, you know, it's very it, dangerous. It, yeah. It's very dangerous for a band, I think, because, by the time, I mean, like, it's interesting. I was, I, you know, I was going through some demos um, the other day, like, you know, coronavirus. I've got a box full of cassettes. I was like, okay, let's go through some of these. And it's really interesting. I was listening to like our our demos of like coming into the second album and then coming into our third album. And I mean, coming to the second album, we, we'd already like 
you know, we'd sold a million and a half records and Golden Touch had been a big hit and somewhere else and stuff. So, you know, our lives had changed, you know, completely. Mm-hmm. But we were still, I think we were still writing for ourselves. We just felt incredibly relaxed, you know, and like just having fun. And now I was listening to the third one. And by then we'd sold like a lot of records and played huge shows and played headline festivals and done the whole thing world tours and all that kind of stuff so things had really 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 changed and i listened to the 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 demos and it was really weird because it was really stiff because it was almost like we were supposed to know what we were doing and it sounded like we were trying to be professional like okay like almost like someone's got a clipboard like okay now we're going to do that song and then we're going to do that song which is just like you know and then because i think by then as soon as you start thinking, you're thinking about the audience and like, you know, so instead of just talking into the ear of your friend, you're trying to talk to everybody at once and that just doesn't work, you know? And then weirdly on that third album, which, you know, it was an album I, I kind of like, I wasn't in the headspace to make and I think was, oh, it's a whole other story, but um, was, uh, you know, there was a song called Wire to Wire that ended up being like a huge hit in, in Germany and places in Europe, bizarrely. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, you know, that was one of the only songs on the album where I wasn't, I was just singing into the ear of a friend, you know, and I never thought it would be a single or anything like that, you know. What was and then it, you know, the other thing, sorry, while I was just while I was on it, I was going to say was that all my hits have been demos. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Or at least, you know, have, uh, the recordings have been, have, have been 50% of the demo, you know? So like, does that mean when, when you take it into the band or you take it into a, a, a producer? that you can you can take yeah, with it too much we've tried to re-record it means that we've demo i've written i've written the song or co-written the song with someone and then we've brought it in we've played it and the when we've demoed it as a band we've recorded it and then we've gone in with the big producer and we've tried to re-record it and it hasn't worked so we've just gone back to the demo 
and that's and that everything that's pretty much everything that's been a, a hit you know the songs you'd think of with race like with with some extent no like america yes wire to wire yes golden touch yes you know they were they're all actually the demo recordings what what is your relationship like with those songs now is it as sort of private as as it was when you when you wrote them or does it take on a different meaning when you when you sort of play them and they take on their own form i was doing golden touch about a year ago and suddenly i, I it was like i mean it, i wrote the lyrics but i suddenly understood them and it was great <laughs> <laughs> it's this really exciting moment. It only took you a while, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. But I think, I, I can't remember what it was, but I think actually there's there's two ways of reading the chorus. The chorus could mean two different things. And I'd only ever meant it the way I wrote it. And I heard it while I was singing it. And I thought, oh, yeah, it could mean it that way around. It could mean that as well. And I was so thrilled. I was like, oh, yeah, great. It's it's crazy. I think I think it takes certain like with me certain songs you you only understand when you're a little bit older. Like for some reason I, I keep hearing um, Bohemian like you by the Dandy Warhols and I'm yeah. like I only started to get it for the first time. But what it's about? Um, well, yeah, because when that came out, I was I mean I don't know if you're a bit younger than me, but I remember it came out and it was like I was kind of like I thought it was just a bit obvious, you know, yeah, like yeah. Bohemian, yeah, yeah, everyone's Bohemian, yeah, whatever. Right, and it, I just thought it was a bit too obvious for a song for a song title, and then yeah, actually it was in my head the other day, and I was thinking, um, I think it's brilliant, and the lyrics just perfect. Did you ever watch the documentary Dig that was about yeah, them and the yeah. Brian's Jonetown yeah. massacre? Yeah, <laughs> it's one of the craziest document, probably my my favorite. I'd say it's top five favorite music documentaries of all time. Like it's it's um, allured me to Anton so much that ah. I just I just think he's an absolute force of nature. Yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed it, but I came out with the uh, the opposite feeling. <laughs> Did you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe this is why I like enjoy interviewing people. Like I like really enjoy just like people with with different personalities. No, do you know what? <laughs> I, I watched it and I think I I, mm, I, I might have veered on the allured mm. side, as you say, for a little bit, and then I think as time went on, I kind of like I was like, hang on. Yeah, there's a lot of spin here isn't there there's, you know as i start to understand more what happens in music i think there's a question i got it got asked because i i had i had pete um doherty on the yeah. on the podcast a while back um about a year ago actually um and we were talking about your your sort of uh fledgling i said fledgling it's uh your your early run with the the libertines and i wasn't oh. quite sure whether the, like he whether this is fact, I, mean, I feel like I can confirm it now because I've got two, yeah, two, yeah. two different views on it. But he said that the the reason that you didn't stay on in the band is that they had to play a gig to um, the Rough Trade label that was coming to see them. But you yeah. had been, you decided you were going to stay in Cardiff and party with a band. And I can't remember the band off the top of my head. Uh, well, it's that's almost true. I was, um, yeah, well, it probably is. Let me think about this. I want to be really, really accurate. I was on tour with the Alabama Three. That was it, yeah. Yeah, and I had um, I w- I'd never planned to do to play in the Libertines for long. Mm-hmm. I I loved the band, and they were like, you know, my my friends. You know, I we were you know we were sort of a gang of very close friends, and I really loved what they were doing. But I always wanted to do my own thing, and um, John, who you know uh, was a big friend of mine, you know. We, like heroin buddies in the 90s you know and we'd known each other for a long time um uh 
he'd said to me, look, I think the band isn't going anywhere. Peter and Carlos are like, they're kind of losing it. And, you know, what should I do? I don't really feel like doing the band anymore. And I was like, well, just do whatever you want to do. And he was like, and he left the band. And then, like, I was off doing other stuff. And then they had, like, a gig that was suddenly really, really important. And they were like, look, can you just come in and play bass? And I was like, and Gary had come in on drums. And I said, yeah, I'll come in and fill in for a couple of gigs, right? But, Mm -hmm. you know, John left the band and he's my mate and I'm not going to, do you know what I mean? I'm not going to do it long term, you know? But Peter had had this, it's all linked because they'd got, Peter had gone and seen the strokes and he'd decided that the way he was going to make it was to try and get, um, from what he taught me, he sold them acid. <laughs> mm, yeah, um, he might have done. But the thing he got from it, this is when he got Steve to sing in the band. But he wanted, he thought, if he gets the, if he gets all his best looking friends in a band, then it would be more like the Strokes. So that was kind of the game plan. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's canny. It is canny. Yeah, yeah, but that didn't quite. It didn't work out. It didn't pan out that way. But anyway, so I, so literally, I wasn't like, I wasn't up John because you know he'd kind of left the band and he was my mate as well so I was like look I'll come and I'll do a couple of gigs and then I'd got a gig I was really really into you know I was I was doing my own thing where I felt like I sort of felt like Lead Belly and The Clash were the same thing yeah but no one else in the world understood that mm-hmm. so I was doing these shows on my own that were kind of like punk gospel i don't know blues i don't really know how to put it and um i was getting pretty good at that and then out of the blue what's his um sorry boy what's his name um rob sprague from from alabama the reverend larry love is his name so was he larry love anyway um yeah he was and he he came and saw me play and he said fucking right boy that's Come on, come on tour and fucking do lead belly. I've got a fucking gospel quiet fucking mint. And I was like, that's my best that's my best impression by the way. And um and I was like, what do you mean? He was like, Well, we want you I'm dropping the impression. Uh we want you to come on stage and at the end of our show and play the midnight special and they've got this gospel choir and they're gonna sing it along with you, come and do it on tour every night. Wow. And I was like, Yeah, man. So I went off to do that, you know. And I was getting paid in Coke. Which was kind of like, I mean, you know, I was I, I was a heroin addict from the age of 16 to 20. So by the time this was, I was a bit old, I was 21, 22 by then. So I didn't have that much interest in, in coke or drugs in general because I'd kind of done, done my time and moved through it. Could you could you not have asked them for the monetary equivalent? I didn't even mention money. You know, I was just so pleased to be doing it. You know, yeah. I just and it, what, but as it as it transpired, they just they just kept giving me a bag of bag of coke after every gig. So whether whether it's an official payment or not, I don't know. But yeah, and then it was, um, and then yeah, the, I knew that there was this rough trade gig coming up. So I went to a payphone and I called Carl and I said, "Listen, I'm really sorry. I'm out on tour with the Alabamas. I'm in Cardiff and um, I can't make the gig. You know, let me know if that's a big problem." Well, I just felt like it was kind of like a thing, you know, like I said, I was going to come in and debt in the band yeah, for, of course. for a couple of gigs. Do you know what I mean? And uh-huh. then, then I was out on the road sort of with an opportunity concerning my own career, you know, because it wasn't like it wasn't like I was going to do the Libertines thing 
long term, you know. I definitely, I want to come back to the fact that you're such a Clash fan because, like, surely it must have made you jealous that they did their debut album with Mick Jones. But like the the question I kind of want to ask you before that is how like how do you get addicted to heroin at sixteen? I come from like a small place in Northern Ireland, like very provincial. Well, you know, Belfast, province Belfast is the best place in the world to clean up, and that's what I did actually when I was really. 20. Yeah, I had a girlfriend from Donegal D uh-huh. up the coast. Yeah, and um, we went out there. Anyway, it's a long story, but um, how do you get? Uh, well, how do you get hooked? You just keep is it, doing is it, it. Is it because? <laughs> 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 but, but but like. I I I'm only asking just simply due to the fact because like you know being 16 and from Oma where I'm from is very different to being 16 from from London. Like was it was it because you were out at club nights and running around with the Libertines and pe- people like that or? No, that was it was a long time before the Libertines. When I met Pete, well no, maybe not that long, but I met Pete when I was about 18, and and me and John were both heroin addicts, and Peter had a duffel coat and a bicycle and listened to uh, Bell and Sebastian. And he was very shocked by the by the drug use, and he was like, he'd hang, you know, he'd be like, "Man, you don't need to do that. Don't do that." It was, it was, he had a sort of wide-eyed innocence about him that was very endearing. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of, it was more like, um, yeah, it was more like the Cam. I don't know. There was a kind of scene in Camden, you know. And first, I don't know. I got into, you know, I got into LSD because I was always with the with like the eco warriors, squats, and that kind of stuff. And you know, that was where I'd run away from home to go and hang out there. And there was a lot of acid, so I got into that. And then I got into speed or whatever. And then you know, because that was just around in Camden. And then after a while, it sort of became a bit, and then it, you know, ease and stuff. But it sort of became a stigma because we started to feel like all those drugs were hippie drugs. Mm-hmm. So maybe not speed, but um so it was like we sort of wanted might even have been an image thing that we wanted to like graduate to um a drug that suited our image more and you know heroin seemed to fit the ticket you know and that was about right for the first two times you take it and after that you don't really have too much choice you're taking it because you just want to take it because nothing else has any um has any allure at that point you're so it must have been it must have been crazy for your 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 mom and stuff like that like they must have been like what the fuck do we do because <laughs> you're at 16 you're at that sort of age where you can kind of go and do your own thing even though you're not an adult yeah i mean i just i was sort of pretty determined to get out of living at home as quickly as i could you know like so i did really you know so i don't think you know my mom just knew i was sort of somewhere trying to make it in music you know and that was kind of what i was doing really you know so with um but the other thing is, you know, you can be fairly functional for a couple of years. It's not like everyone knows that's what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You know? When when did Razorlight start? Well, yeah. So actually, coming back to, I'm I'm in the, I'm in the I'm in a payphone booth in the parking lot in Cardiff, calling up Carl. And um, yeah, I wouldn't say I was jealous in any way that Mick Jones was producing their album. I, I was really excited. You know, because you've got to understand it wasn't like, for me, it wasn't a competition. It was like, here's a, you know, these are, these are my friends. You know, this is my, you know, you think about who were your best mates when you were 19, that sort of circle of friends you had. That's what it was, you know, including Maraid as well, who went on to ma- manage Florence and the Machine. And it was kind of like, wow, Mick Jones is in our gang. Do you know what I mean? He's deigning yeah, to come and like yeah. hang out with like, you know, my friend circle. That's pretty cool. And um, 
I remember going down to Rack a few times and hanging out and stuff, you know, while they were doing the album and and contributing in whatever way I did, which I can't completely remember. And um, and uh, and it was great. It was exciting, man. It was super exciting. Did you? And ever, um, yeah, got. Did you ever um, have any dealings with Joe Strummer? No. I'd no. loved. I'd love to have met Joe Strummer and John Peel. Yeah. They're, they're like top of my lists of people. Yeah, I'd love to no, have met. I, I never did. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I feel uh, disappointed that I never did for sure. And then, um, um, then what happened? Well, uh, that week where the Libs played Rough Trade was quite a crazy week for me as well. I was going through some crazy personal stuff with it with a girlfriend and stuff and and there was also um and then shortly after that i had a bunch of friends who were all in a band they were about 19 20 and it was a four piece and three of them died in a car crash and one of them was a really close friend of mine and uh it was that was 2001 december 2001 and it was a real shock you know so i kind of like i don't know that was a real moment for me i just i kind of I was living upstairs from this bar, this pub, bar venue that I was working in. And I just thought, okay, instead of, um, I don't know where my friends are, but I know that the only thing they wanted to do was make music. And I don't know if they can make music anymore. So yeah. I'm going to spend every hour of every day making music and writing the best music I can make. Like, I'm not fucking around anymore. That was like the end of being like a sort of, I was, my, I was attempting to be a kind of like Warholian, um, scuzzy, cool guy, drug addict, you know, and you know who had a couple of tunes. And when we went to rehearse with our band, we we stole equipment and sold it for drugs rather than actually played any songs, you know. And that's what I was attempting to be. And it was like, okay, well that's that's the end of that game, you know. And I really thought like, I just it was just like just constantly thinking about my friends and the and the the songwriter in the band was immensely talented, and you know he'd, I know he'd. He'd have made a huge success of his music because mm-hmm. he was just brilliant, and um, you know, to that end, it was just a constant inspiration, and that was the start of me forming Razorlight, really, and also, you know, it was like, you know, Peter and Carlos, they were blazing a trail for me in a way because it was like they were showing that it could be done, you know, not that the Libertine story was like from zero to hero immediately because it certainly wasn't you know it took longer than people think yeah it did it did i remember i remember like it, it, was, it, 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 a while. it wasn't it wasn't until he was until he was you know with kate in the tabloids that it kind of went mainstream from mm-hmm. what i saw you know until then it was like it was anyway it was it was what it was which was you know it was a great thing i mean i remember watching them supporting morrissey at the forum or brixton or something like that probably brixton and it was like me and Maraid dancing in the crowd and no one else. You know, I mean, we were the only people that, that <laughs> yeah. knew the stuff, you know. But um, Whereas, like, with Razorlight, you guys, it did happen quite quickly. It happened a lot quicker for you guys than it did, did then. I don't know. I'm not sure because... This is, this is just my well, opinion yeah, on the yeah, outside. Oh, yeah, it certainly yeah. did, yeah, because, 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 yeah, the Libertines, they formed in, like, 1998, you know. So, but in a way, I'd been playing with, I'd been playing alongside them from that time as well and i saw Razorlight as sort of the fruition of what i'd been doing do you know what i mean mm-hmm. so so um yeah but from 
from the moment I got that lineup together for Race Light, it was um, it did it did come together pretty quickly. It was um, it was a sort of crazy four or five years where just everything fell in the right place at the right time. You know, I always think that you know that you're you're in the sort of um, Champions League of of bands when your song becomes a, a mainstay at an indie disco while the indie disco is happening because it's very when you go to an indie disco yeah me too but have we ever had that i don't know which one's our mainstay well i mean i used to dj indie discos all the time i used to go to them all the time as well um i would say probably golden touch like was the one that oh, right, was, then, then i'm play. pleased if that's ha- if that has happened if that has happened i'm so pleased that does happen you're absolutely right there's no more you can't be more anointed than being played at the indie disco <laughs> but it's well, like, i mean that there's no irony i don't do i really I'm, there's no irony in that i really really mean that so um if if somewhere on like a friday night there's you know a couple of kids who are wearing like a couple of boys wearing mascara and there's golden touch playing on the you know playing through the speakers then i'm really really pleased happy days i mean like also like you know you can you can throw on that's where that's where i come from do you know what i mean that, mm. that was like 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 you i'm sure but that was that's where it's from you know and then the thing with thing with race like that was strange i know we're jumping about all over the place and we haven't really talked about the demo but it's like i did the first album right mm-hmm. as you say golden touch and, and whatever which for me in a way i sort of think of as, as race light in some ways and then our drummer left the band and andy joined and you know then we did the second album and it was kind of like the second album. andy's a great 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 melodic harmonist you know he's incredible right and we really enjoyed writing and it was like all right if if it was buzzcocks on the last one let's go blondie on this one you Mm -hmm. know what i mean if it was pixies let's go squeeze you know it's like let's go let's go more melodic you know and the thing about melody is it's so fucking seductive anyway that once it starts pulling on you you can't stop it right and i'm really proud of a lot like the stuff that i was writing at that point and the stuff that i wrote with andy and but the thing was i wanted to go more melodic which in a way is going more pop but i didn't think it was going to work to the extent that it did i thought like people like i thought it was going to be like sort of slightly bubblegum in a cool way but that wasn't what happened. It was like everyone was thinking the same thing I was thinking. And suddenly, Ray's like, instead of being a band that lots of people, you know, a, a number of people really loved, it was a band that everybody knew about. And that's a really different thing. Uh, like for, for a good pop record to to work, is it is it that you write it and you have no idea like how it's going to go? It could, it could not go at all? Like it, it's not really in your hands anymore once it's out there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my thing was, I'm rebellious by nature, right? So it was like, I've made a good first indie record. And the one thing I didn't want to do was make a not so good second indie record. You know, make the first good indie record again, but not as good. Mm-hmm. You know, which is what, my, you know, I'd seen most bands do that. You know, what you can do, turn up looking a little bit, a little bit harder on the cover, like wearing a leather jacket and a bit of an attitude. And like, you make the, you know. Like it's been going on since like Pretenders 2, you know, like <laughs> yeah. classic. And I love Pretenders 2, by the way, you know, but not as much as I love the Pretenders. And um, the debut album, you know, and, um, you know, so that was the one thing I didn't want to do. So I thought my rebellion was like, why don't I make the record, make a record that people don't expect? 
which I did, <laughs> but it was coincidentally the record that everyone wanted to hear. I remember the editor of the enemy at the time, Connor, he said, um, oh, well, you, you've just made the record that everyone wants to hear. And I was like, I just thought to myself, like, yeah, well, if I have, like, how f it's not easy, <laughs> like, you know, try make, you know what I mean? It's, it's like, a, it's crazy that it's that's not, been... it's not easy to make the magazine that everybody wants to fucking read. You know what I mean? It's like, so, you know, and I haven't like sat down and thought I'm going to do that. It's just, that's what's happened, you know? I think that that style of inflammatory journalism in the music press anyway definitely doesn't really exist to the same standards now because I think if somebody said to me going you've made the radio show that everybody wants to hear I'd take it as a massive compliment I'd be like that's, well, I that's, I mean, that's I brilliant did, but it was that weird backhanded <laughs> thing and that, and that was the weird thing for like that was the weird thing for Ray's Light was that it, then we were kind of alienated from from you know from from what I consider like was like our core place in the world that like I grew up in you know what I mean it was like shit like what I'm, I'm existing in this kind of like mass appeal pop world but I don't know man you know it was like it's the, I don't know like you know I, I, I just I don't know man but like so when you talk about the indie disco or like the song being played it, it genuinely means a lot to me you know because I was that kid in Camden age 16 17 you know what I mean like you know fucking putting it all on the line and fucking believing in music you know but putting the, the putting the pop record out there kind of opened you up to a whole new world took you out of the indie disco took you out of the 300 to 500 to a thousand cap venues and and re really ridiculously scaled up like because you were i mean a, 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 apart from like obviously doing your own arena tours and stuff as well but you you headlined or sorry you um supported um the likes of u2 queen the who Oasis, like I mean, what? Yeah, but a lot of that we did on our first record. Was by well, the, by the end of the first record, we was you know we were did, we did two nights at Ali Pali, which is where I grew up as well. So that's crazy. Like, that's twenty thousand people, isn't it? Sixteen. Sixteen. Not <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> let's keep it down. All right, so it's better to underestimate. Let's say it might be somewhere in the middle. Mm. What was the biggest Razor Light show you did then? The biggest show that we did. Yeah, I don't know actually. Well, I, I'm in, on, like on on our own. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Probably we did the O2, so that's quite that's quite big. <laughs> it's, it's pretty big. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty big. What what was it like? So like um, sharing stages with you two and the Who? But amazing, just amazing. Like you know, you just oh, I could talk about Roger Daltrey a lot because do you share do you, do you share moments with them when you're when you're backstage? I, I did an interview with um, Simon from Biffy Clyro, and he yeah. told me how Pete Townshend had uh, had to tell him to turn his guitar amp down because it was too loud. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, like when you when you're with you two, are you hanging with Bono? If you're with Queen, are you talking about badger calling with Brian May? Like, I, I, the whole thing fascinates me massively. Yeah, I never got into anything with Brian May, unfortunately. I figured there, there were probably loads of topics that we could approach there. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, you two, I mean, for a while I was kind of part of the family there because I was, I was dating um, Paul McGuinness's daughter as well. So it was kind of like, and we were going out and playing loads of shows with them. So I felt quite, I was quite in the... <laughs> in the in in the scene there and mm -hmm. that was um and that was great you know i mean i was so grateful for that and that 
you know, that was very interesting. I just talked to Bono about songs, you know. I'd just be like, well, had, you know, when you were coming in to think, when you were coming in with this song, did you think it needed a bridge? And then why do you think it needed a bridge? Are you sure? You know, that kind of stuff, you know, because they definitely wrote some, some real bangers, you mm-hmm. know. And um, I don't know, for me, it was um, the, 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 the great privilege I really feel that I've had in terms of that kind of thing is working with people from, well, people who are obviously heroes of mine growing up, but especially people from the 60s, you know? Yeah. And I think that was like, that was an era where, oh man, I would have liked to have been around then because, you know, I think it was a lot more suited to how I approach things. And, um, you know, the people that I've worked with who were working back then, I just we seem to really click and, and understand, you know? And the other thing was asking for, advice you know i mean like roger was i mean oh i don't know here's a vignette you know i was sitting at i was sitting at home and the landline rang i mentioned before i, I do like the landline i heard it go and, off earlier <laughs> and um yeah i know yeah. um and uh the landline rang and i picked it up and it's this guy goes oh is that johnny i'm like yeah, yeah. and it's like oh it's roger daughter i was like yeah, fuck off. He's like, no, no, it is. And I was like, what? And he's like, do you want to do the Camden, um, the cancer, Teenage Cancer Trust uh, at the Albert Hall? And I was like, well, yeah, of course, you know? And he's like, look, I'll oh, come on, I'll sing Summertime Blues for you. And then you do like a bunch of your own songs. Yeah, sound good? I was like, yeah, great. He's like, all right, it's on the 14th of June or whatever it was. And I was like, well, yeah, man, sounds great. Like, let me just check with my manager that we're free and everything. He's like, look, shut up. I don't do managers. Just you in or out, <laughs> and I was like, "I'm in," <laughs> you know, and uh, and we did it. You know what I mean? I yeah. phoned up my manager. I was like, "By the way, we're doing the gig on the 14th of June with Roger Daltrey." He's like, "Oh, excellent," <laughs> you know, and I really appreciate that. You know, I had a similar phone call from uh, Ray Davies, you know, who was a massive hero of mine because I grew up in Muswell Hill, you know. So of course. Um, and Ray just phoned me up. Similarly, I was so hungover. If you have, you know those hangovers where like you just like you're not even sweating it out of every pore it's just like oh, i don't know you just can't even hold your head straight you yeah know? yeah find me up out of the blue and he's like all right johnny it's ray we've got um i've got elvis costello in the studio at the moment and we're just re-recording some of my old songs do you um do you want to come down and oh, uh, no, you know, not, play some guitar not that sort of I like, <laughs> like fuck off i just hung up <laughs> and then he phones back he's like Johnny I was like we'd never met and I was like yeah I'd love to I'll be there in like five minutes how did it turn out oh man yeah I mean you know I wasn't giving my best performance but I like <laughs> to think that I had a you know I was in in shape enough that it kind of worked out you know wow God, Elvis, a... Elvis had left the building by the time I got there and it's very rare you get to say that in life so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe it's for um, the best but yeah you know but I really I really liked that attitude, you know and or like working with like um uh david bailey you know photos and i just loved it you know just very straightforward and kind of the opposite of what we do now you know do you have a creative Um, outlook or sorry do you you have a creative outlet outside of music like do you do you um paint or write or yeah i mean yeah i do all kinds of things (laughs) but i kind of keep like just keep them to myself because i kind of like I don't want them to have to go through the um, the birth pangs of of connecting with the with the square world, you know. 
<laughs> because that is a funny thing. You make a band, you know what I mean? You don't make a band to be like, and going back to the Libertines or whatever, like, you know, when we were all playing together, we were just our own scene. We didn't read the enemy. We didn't listen to the radio. We didn't care, couldn't care less. You're not, you're not really thinking, let's make a band that connects with everybody, mm. you know, because bands don't really connect with everybody. Do you know what I mean? The rock and roll ethos is not the ethos of the Daily Mail or the Sun. Are those the two leading selling newspapers in our country? Yeah, Something so. like that, right? Is that right? Anyway, <laughs> no idea. Can't remember last time. Last time I picked up a paper. Let's take that as representative of the viewpoint of you know of the majority of people. Now, the mm. ethos of rock and roll is, doesn't fit with that at all. And the weird thing is, once your band becomes successful, you end up sitting down with all these journalists who start not not, not a conversation like this. I really, as as far as music interviews go, this has it's been a great experience because I can tell that you care about music and you want to talk about music, and that's that's so so rare. I would say it's like. It's, you know, it's one in hundreds that you ever get an interview like that. And, um, you know, what they want to do, especially in this country, is they want to talk to you about, you know, they, they want to do that kind of shock horror thing, you know, and try and fit you into their sort of parochial myopic view of the world. Yeah, like I'm not... And it doesn't, and it doesn't really fit. You know, mm-hmm. I'm I'm not interested in in particular clickbait or whatever. This is why the podcast. No, exactly, po- and I can I can see that. Po- that's why. Po- but that's what I'm saying. It is you know it's a it, you know it's it's a real exception to get an interview like 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 the one that we're having right now. What are, that actually feels like conversation that that you know where I am where we can and I can get across some things that I have seen about music and certain things that I think about music and, and the whole thing. You know. Where where are you where are you taking your your music? So I'm grateful. That's me saying I'm grateful. <laughs> Thanks, man. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Um, where where are you taking your 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 music now? Like like what have your what have like the because obviously your influences change over time. My influences have changed over time. I never thought I'd be into dance music when I was a teenager, um, because I used to be at like I used to be eighteen, nineteen at um coming home from a rave and I'd be sticking on indie records and I'd be getting kicked off it and thrown out of the house and yeah, they'd be play, yeah. playing Tiesto yeah. and now like, I'm a little bit older and I'm sort of enjoying little bits of dance music and I'm enjoying little bits of jazz and and all sorts of stuff like my, my music taste has changed quite a lot um what about what about yours like where, 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 where? I mean I've, I've always listened to everything like everything I mean if I, I let me look at what is here by the player right now is Oh, okay. It's quite rock actually. We've got Velvet Underground, White Light, White Heat. We've got PJ Harvey four track demos. I think there was a bit of Mozart on last night. I was definitely, <laughs> um, I was just laughing at the harpsichord parts because it's so funny. This, I don't know if this is what your listeners are into, but if you ever listen to Mozart, it's just, I'm sure they're a joke. It's harpsichord parts. Anyway, listen to like <laughs> Marriage of Figaro or something and just check out the harpsichord player. It's insane. Oh, well, oh, well. I was like pissing myself. You know when you laugh so hard that it hurts the back of your head? Yeah, yeah. Kind of like that. Um, anyway, yeah, what else, you know, what else have we got? Those are, those are the three most recent things that have been on. So, mm. and then it's, so I don't know. I was listening to a bit of Zimbabwean music in the other room, so I started just going through old cassettes. So, I don't know. I've always listened to everything, you know? And... Um, yeah, I don't know, man. It feels like this the cycle's coming back around. I like I like the you tend to give things a little a wide berth for a bit and then the cycle comes back around and that sort of leads into um the the, the new single of Burn Burn Camden Burn. Oh yeah, right, yeah. Well yeah, I mean musically at the moment 
because like Björn, our original guitar player, just came back into the band. So that's absolutely fucking amazing, right? And um, we're, we're just getting on really well and playing really well and we're super excited. So for me, what I'm, I mean, I don't know, I don't want to put pressure on him because I'm talking to him about it, but I'm trying to get Carl, our, our original bass player, back as well but he's in mm. he's in retirement in sweden and um and that would be fantastic you know i really really would and um you know actually you know so we'll see maybe i don't know maybe that should go in the show because he's it's up to him to sort of figure out what he's doing um but yeah you know just just for me it's just reconnecting with like that that original razor like thing you know you know i just just kind of that seems fun to me you know does that mean and, um, does that mean andy would have a place back in the, the this lineup or is it like sort of more first album sort of thing yeah it's probably more first album i mean you know there, there's like um i mean there's a whole other story but it's kind of like um yeah there's, there's like addiction issues and stuff there which which make it really hard for us to for for us to work you know with with various people so uh that's kind of like that's not on the table for the moment okay um with all the best will in the world you know? yeah and um um so yeah you know but um yeah burn Camden burn was actually that was actually something that i recorded uh, about eight nine years ago and uh the tv show just heard it and they were they were like this is perfect can we have it in our first episode i was like yeah sure so um so it's now in the virtual world but I'm pleased that it's out there because there's shitloads of songs like that that are just sitting on a hard drive, you know. And it's like, um, I'm glad if I'm glad if they're good enough for people to enjoy, you know. Well, it it, makes me, will it make makes a... me a bit anxious. I'm kind of like maybe I should put out all the other stuff. <laughs> well, will, will will it make an album? Like, will like what what are you thinking? Like, is there going to be a a project to work? Yeah. Well, there's an album. There's definitely an album coming. We we we'd already started recording. Um, just and then the producer we were working with is, is you know, his wife had, had got the COVID, you know, and it was like, okay, shit. So we've taken it, we've, we've stopped, and it's basically the, yeah, the um, corona thing is kind of holding us up at the moment. Mm, yeah. Because I was really hoping to have it out, you know, to be putting new stuff out. So, in a way, this single turning up because you know we've just come off the back of a we did our own tour and we did the kaiser chiefs tour which was which was pretty amazing so it's nice to keep the momentum up and um so i'm glad this i'm glad this camden burn camden burn is, is has come through well, at this I mean, point because it's, it means there's something coming out not from which not, otherwise would have been something totally new not for me to step in is like uh use my music industry <laughs> Uh, um, instinct but the first thing I was just thinking was like if you want to keep momentum up like you've got a hard drive full of stuff you need to be dropping that stuff there and that there's the there's the momentum until the album comes out boom yeah 10 well, percent, please doing it, to be honest <laughs> uh, it's kind of like it was really interesting going back to Vice because I really like the four track I really like the way things sound on cassette mm-hmm. um you know what well, hence my solo album which was done on a four track cassette as well um uh you know it's like i'm really i really like that and it was really nice sitting there and and and, and going back to hearing those things so yeah I'd definitely be i'm definitely going to go through it and put down some mixes and stuff of of the stuff that's there and um 
Yeah, we'll see. I don't know, mate. What, what do you do? Just fling it out on Instagram? Is that, <laughs> is that stick it up on stick it up on Spotify and let, let it do its thing. Yeah, maybe I'll make it. I'll just make like a compilation. Yeah, of, of, of like the four track stuff. It could be quite good. I mean, because I, I love demos, and that was the other thing. It's like, I, I mean, I'm really, I might, you know, I'm really, I really like the idea of your show because um, I love demos. Yeah, same. Like I, said, same. I, I, I tend to use them instead of the actual recordings, in, you know, in my music as much as possible. But I just love demos. And um, in fact, I don't really like the way that people make records or have made records in the last 20 years, most people. I would actually, of any artist that I like, if I think about any art, songwriter that I like, I think I'd rather hear their demos than their albums. Mm-hmm from the last 20 years yeah there's some there's something about the scratchy low fineness of of of, of music that i i really enjoy like well, i really just overwork it you know yeah. and people on the computer you know how it is you've been in a band right you people just pull the drums you know left and right move the kick drum get it in time it's shit it doesn't sound real there's something you know? about like like i always quite enjoyed like moldy peaches music and and Dan, daniel johnson and like that sort of almost uh well we got Ad, adam did the intro for uh he, he wrote a skit for, for our fourth <laughs> race album the one we put out last year, which was pretty funny. My American friends are always really confused because I, I always say that Adam's the only living American genius. And they look at me like, Adam Green? I, I, I'm like, yeah. I have agree. You not seen, have you not seen Aladdin? <laughs> <laughs> Big time. Um, Johnny, thank, thanks for the, the demo of Vice and thanks for taking the time to, to chat to me. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.